of destruction and suffering caused by the malevolence and neglect of empire and domination. This is what happens under oppressive, corrupt power. Asking abstract theological questions about the slaughter and the collapse is dangerously beside the point. In fact, it distracts from the real work at hand. And even worse, this faulty theology causes the people to look at themselves for blame instead of looking hard at the reality of occupation that surrounds them. Jesus is clear. The sins of the victims did not cause their deaths. The evil of an occupying power did. Pilate, Pilate murdered the Galileans. Remember that Jesus is Galilean. Remember Pilate's role to come in the Gospel of Luke. There's a foreshadowing here. Herod's neglect of municipal maintenance caused the tower to fall. How arrogant. Meanwhile, he was building himself lavish palaces and monuments to his pride. See the first hymn we sang. <clears throat> Violence and neglect kill the people while the rulers benefit. So when Jesus says, repent, he is saying, wake up. Change your way of thinking. Adjust your perspective. Dump distracting abstract theology and face the way things are. I said to Carol before the service, I think Jesus is teaching them how to do a power analysis. <laughs> the frightful problems you name are not theological problems. They're problems of imperial domination. Innocent lives were lost to the powers that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. That's one of the ways we name the evil we repent of in our baptisms, the powers that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God are on display in the slaughter of the alternative and the falling of his power. Jesus is setting free. He deliberates. This is what he does. He's setting his listeners free from a faulty theology that cannot tell the difference between the ways of God and the ways of occupation. Jesus wants his listeners to look with fresh eyes at their dilemma. After all, how convenient for an empire to have a theology that causes people to blame themselves and blame the victims for their own persecution and murder. To repent, as Jesus is using it, metanoia, to be transformed, to have our minds changed, changes how we look at ourselves and the world. It pushes us to ask questions much more challenging than the ones Jesus offered rhetorically. A writer in the Atlantic magazine this week 
sister-in-law was calling to say that her husband had gotten COVID, and so had she. And the cases were bad. The husband had to be intubated, and she was very distressed. On the phone, the sister-in-law, distraught and agitated, was asking the big questions out of her fear. How could God let this happen to us? How could this be happening? The writer knew better than to challenge these questions in the moment. She needed comfort, not correction. But he goes on to reflect that these big questions, these abstract questions, really had obvious answers. In fact, these questions were a way of avoiding the obvious because to really answer these questions would be to take a hard look at the choices made and the world view adopted, the loyalties developed, the allegiances sworn, the world that had got them into this predicament, the authorities they had listened to. Sometimes the big questions lead us astray and away from the harder questions where we can make progress. And Jesus responds to distracting abstract questions by inviting his listeners to change their point of view and then giving them a powerful alternative image of who God is and how God works. His intervention is brilliant as always intervention is the image of the fig tree that is not bearing fruit. This pastoral image. And I want us to approach this fig tree in the same way we approach the parable of the lost sheep. Remember the parable where 99 sheep are saved with the shepherd and one is lost and the shepherd runs out for that sheep? And the parable is going to teach us how absurdly loving our God is. To leave the 99 for the sake of the one would be nonsensical in the ancient world. And I would like to suggest it's the same with this tree. In an orchard full of fig trees, why so much attention to the one? It's an illustration of God's abundant forbearance and mercy even when we fall short, and we do. How does God respond to the unproductive fig tree? With mercy and nurture and loving attention. Spread manure upon us. God is faithful. God is good. God has a purpose for the fig tree, and God invests in that purpose with love and nurture where empire brings deadly violence and neglect, Jesus counters with life-giving mercy and nurture towards a fruitful, flourishing existence. Spread manure. Too many people I talk to in pastoral care are struggling, struggling in life because 
for an emperor, one who meets out violence, judgment, and provokes obedience through fear. We who know Jesus need to share with the world another knowledge of God. The knowledge of God who tends to the orchard, who feeds and nurtures, who goes out of his way to the barren tree to bring it back to life, to give it its next chance. I believe this pastoral image is so good for this moment. For two years and more, we have been on high alert. Our cortisol levels have been elevated from constant threat and elevated fear. And I am deeply concerned that this cortisol flood in our brains has changed us, made us overly reactive, overly defensive, often quick to aggression, even seeking out more drama for our fix of cortisol. Cortisol changes the brain. It affects our soul, our position in the world. But Jesus teaches us well. Move away, detached from the big dramatic story of slaughter and man. Turn instead to this pastoral image of nurse, nurture and mercy. And in that turning, in that repenting, we can give good, loving care to our brains and detox from stress hormones and reach a more peaceful, loving place that will feed our souls and feed our world with peace and faithfulness. We know. It's been shown that prayer and meditation, worship, singing, scripture study are good for the mind and the soul. They create new pathways for grace in us. They change our brain, change our perspective, decrease stress pathways, and build up flexibility and grace. So my proposal deep into Lent is this. Let us declare a fast from cortisol. Let us wean ourselves from drama. Let us give loving kindness to ourselves.